There is a word from the Lord. There is a word from the Lord. We're still in this posture we call stewardship. The Lord laid a serious topic on me today. I hope you'll follow me and walk with me on this because it's, it's, it's a bitter pill to swallow. But it's something that we have to steward. We have to steward. And we have to be cognizant of how we deal with circumstances. Underlying scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Just a few verses there. Just a few verses there. Verses 7 through 10 may be familiar to you. If not the verses themselves, then perhaps the underlying story may be familiar to you. But I'm reading out of the uh, English Standard uh, Version of the Bible. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10, read this way. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Double down on that. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Maybe you've been in a place in your life when you have petitioned the Lord, prayed for the Lord, begged, implored, beseeched the Lord to open doors in your life. Lord, I just need this. Whatever you need me to do, please, Lord, make it happen. Only to feel the breeze of that door and the next door slamming shut in your face did not happen. Or maybe you prayed for the healing. How many of us have been in a place where as fervently as we knew how to pray, we prayed for somebody we loved and cared about to be healed. Lord, just let them get up. We bargained with them. We, we, we call ourselves bargaining with the Lord. Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll, I'll be in church every Sunday. I'll go to Sunday school. I even like it. Lord, just let me, if you will, just... Let them get up, only to see that person not get up, only to see that person, that loved one, pass away. What a stinging feeling when it comes to your faith walk. I can remember vividly having a church member. I was a young, young, a young preacher, and um, I may not have even, even been called yet. I, maybe I was a deacon at that point, but... I was really, really trying my best to get closer to the Lord, struggling, trying to read and understand scripture. She got sick, and we had known her all our lives, and I'd been praying for her. And, and, and I came to church and was talking to Pastor Beverly, and as the conversation started, he stopped me and said, did you know that sister such and such passed away? And I said, I was just praying for her. 
It was, it, was, it was as if I understood the power of prayer and I expected that my prayer was supposed to result in certain circumstances. And yet, even as I was praying, what I was praying for wasn't happening. And he said to me, that's all right, son. Keep praying anyway. Her healing was just made perfect another way. Perspective. Somebody smarter, bigger, wiser than me had to keep me pushing through and understand what my prayers were for. Were for. And so we already know how it feels, y'all, when God says yes. We know that. We, we know what to do when our prayers are answered. Y'all had that feeling before when you say, Lord, give me and God blesses you with it. The ultimate question then becomes not what happened when God says yes. Today we need to talk about what to do when God says no. What do we do when God says no to something you've been praying for? You got to learn how to be a steward of yourself and your emotions and your faith in those circumstances when God says no. Now, now let's be honest. We've all made foolish requests to God. Foolish requests that we know in hindsight we're glad that God didn't answer. On, on, in hindsight, come on now, walk with me on this. Who among us hadn't gotten down and prayed that the Lord had put me together with Jilly Jill and let me be her forever man only to realize years later that my life would have been tore up if me and Jilly Jill had gotten together. Some of you right now can pray even better. Thank you, Lord, for not giving me what I prayed for. Foolishly, we ask for some things. If God gave us everything we asked for, that would create problems in and of itself. Any parent in here knows that. Because one thing children know how to come here doing is begging. They know how to ask for stuff. Even things that would not benefit them. And some people have prayed for a job that in hindsight would have prevented you from becoming the you you are right now. Would have prevented you from being what you are in the law. If you had gotten that job, you prayed for it. I'm not just saying you applied for it. No, no, no. I'm not just saying you went to monster.com and put in the application. I'm not just saying you went to the interview. No, no. I'm saying you took time. You earnestly prayed that the Lord would give you that job. And if he had, your life would be completely upended today because of that position you have. It's a barrier to our faith walk sometimes when we get what we ask for. Oh, oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah, and, 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 and we know sometimes that the only reason that I have this job that I have now is because, because God said yes. Some of us tell us that. Tell ourselves that I got this job right now because God says yes. Be careful. Be careful. Sometimes God allows circumstances to develop. Sometimes God just sits back quietly and allows situations to develop. We, in that silence, interpret that as permission when it was never God's intention. You know why? Because God gives us choices 
And he expects us to make choices that are beneficial to our relationship with him and kingdom building. And yet sometimes the only thing we make choices with is our wants and desires. And sometimes we walk into those situations and they are grievous from the start. And we continue to double down and we start asking God, why did you let me get into this situation that I prayed for? And it's all because of choices. God didn't ordain it. He just allowed it. And in allowing it, we create problems for ourselves. But when we pray for something and it doesn't happen, it's easy to think that God has not answered our prayer. And we begin to think that he's forgotten us or he's too busy or he's dealing with something else. Never could it be such that God is not paying attention to you and you only. That you are, don't ever think that you're not his primary concern. Don't ever think that he doesn't know every detail of your life and every other believer's life. The answer you get can come in three ways. We've talked this so many times here. God answers prayers by saying yes, no, and not yet, or wait. Yes, no, and wait. Not now. Not now. Because sometimes what you're praying for is what God desires for you, but you're not ready for it. You don't have the capacity to hold the gift that God is going to give you. And so he hasn't said no. He's saying to you, wait. Some of you are praying for a relationship, a marriage that you're not ready for. And he's saying to you, I want that for you because it would be a blessing to kingdom and to you. But not yet. I need to grow you in some form or fashion so that you can handle this gift you have. But if you've ever felt God saying no, you're in good company. Scripture's full of folk, Anthony, who God said no to. Well-meaning folk, folk who were on God's side, who only wanted to do for the Lord something good. Watch this now. David. Who loved the Lord? The Lord identified him as a man after God's, after his own heart. David implored God to build a temple for him. He said, Lord, I want to build a temple for you that basically no man has ever seen before. Nothing could match his glory. This is the same David who went to war to take back the Ark of the Covenant so that it could be beneficial to the people, and they could see that God is, in fact, supreme. This same David asked the Lord to allow him to build a temple, and the Lord told him no. The Lord told him that he was a man of war, and he had too much blood on his hand to build his temple. But what he did was honor him and his love and devotion and reverence for him. He said, you can take of the grace and gifts I've given you and prepare the temple for the next person to build. And so David took his own personal wealth and bought up all the material and stored it up so that his son could come along 
and build the temple for the Lord. No, that means stop, sit down, don't do anything. There are other ways to bless the Lord if you're faithful enough to consider those ways. Not only was David told no, Paul, who was the author of most of the New Testament, well, he was the author of at least 12, 13 or so of the 26 or so New Testament books. This Paul begged the Lord three times in our scripture to move something from his body. This is a physical ailment now. All historians say we're not talking about something that was theoretical. We're talking about something that pained him. Something that caused him physical discomfort. And asked the Lord to remove the thorn in his side. That was a euphemism for what was going on. Most theologians believe that it was this man who was such an avid writer suffered from serious cataract problems. Imagine that now. I'm trying to write for the Lord, but I can't hardly see what I'm writing. I'm trying to spell it out for the rest of kingdom, and I'm having trouble with my vision. And he asked the Lord, please remove this three times. And the Lord said, no. Even Jesus asked the Lord. Come on now. Even the Son of God asked him to remove something from him, and God said no. God petitioned him three, I mean, Jesus petitioned him three times in the garden at Gethsemane. He said, Lord, if there's another way for this to happen, make it so. Three times! And the answer was no. But watch this now. Watch this. No prayer prayed goes unanswered. No prayer prayed goes unanswered. All right? The answer just may not be what you expected it to be. All right? Why does God tell us no? Why, why, why does he do that? Well, first of all, he tells you no because there's a better yes ahead. He tells you no because there's a better something coming for you. Isaiah 55 and, and 9. The writer says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, you haven't even considered, nor can you imagine what God has for you. When he tells you no, there is in faith an expectation that yes is better when it gets there, when I get there. If he's telling me no, there must be a reason. But it takes maturity to understand that no. And guess what? Being told no is painful. If God is telling you no, in faith, don't lose hope. Trust him. Trust that he knows what he's doing and that he's got something better. Sometimes no is actually a yes to something better. And I'm not trying to give you a tongue twister, but it's hard to accept no. Oh, it's hard. It's hard in, in, in just as people, when somebody tells you no, when there's an expectation that you'll have it under certain circumstances, we refuse to accept it. How many of you have been in a situation where you wanted something so badly and the answer came back to you no, and how did that make you feel emotionally? It's hard to accept it. You feel like you've been rejected. But can I tell you that God doesn't tell us no to mock us or to maim us or as we say in our community, God ain't playing with you. 
when he tells you no. His no is there to help make room, as I said, for a better yes in your life. Think about it. If God hadn't told Jesus no in the garden, what would have happened to our opportunity for salvation? So why does he tell us no, Karen? He tells us no, first of all, because when we ask, our motives are wrong. And so he says no to us. You got the wrong motives. James says one of the reasons that we don't receive our request, according to the King James Version, is because we ask amiss. We ask for selfish reasons and not according to God's will. And many times we don't know or understand the good that God is trying to do when he tells us no. We don't understand that he wants us to trust him and by saying yes to us, it short circuits our ability to believe in him. Watch this. You can ask, you can pray, you can come up with the most expressive prayer you've ever prayed in your life, but God will never give you anything that violates his will or his way. If it's, it's his command, he's not going to violate his command so you can smile, so you can be happy. He's going to say, no, it by definition is not an appropriate prayer. So praying for something that's prohibited in scripture is futile to you. No is automatic. Because of Moses' disobedience when he was leading the children of Israel out. Let me show you how steadfast God is on his word and his way. God told Moses that he would not enter, would not enter the promised land. Moses asked him to reconsider his decision, and watch this now. The very definition of reconsider means you maybe messed up the first time. And so when Moses comes to him and asks God to reconsider, God told him, no, and don't talk about it no more. No from God absolutely means no. He doesn't need to reconsider anything because he knows everything. The Lord had something better, but he was compassionate. He loved Moses, and Moses had been faithful. And so he didn't let him go into that promised land, but he took him up and let him see the land that was promised to the people. He let him look at it, and then he brought him into his promised land. And so there's a difference in how God blesses, blesses us. God allowed pain to come into certain people's lives so that we could understand that sometimes his no points us to a greater cause. Watch this. Go back and see the scene when Jesus comes over the horizon. Alvin, and there is Mary and Martha. They're there crying. They're upset. They've been praying fervently for a few days now because their brother has been sick. Their brother, whom Jesus loves, has been sick. But for now, it's been three plus days and Lazarus has been gone. They stopped praying because it seems as if heaven didn't hear their prayers. And Jesus comes up and the natural emotion comes out, I'm mad at you because if you had been here, then he would not have died. Your no got here before your physical body showed up, Lord. I expected you to be here. And yet, the Lord's no 
was for a greater yes. No didn't mean no under those circumstances forever. No was no so I can show you something better. That's how it is in our lives. The no means something else is coming better and the better was I can raise him. He's asleep. I need you to know that he's just sleeping. We never could have gotten to that part of the story except for the pain that comes from from no. And so he asks, he tells us no, because our motives are wrong. He also tells us, look at this now. Paul tells us in this scripture that I, that I quoted at the beginning, that God gives us a no to keep us humble. Hope, somebody help me. To keep us humble, we've not gotten some things that we thought we deserved. He does it for our protection. Because of, actually, have you ever thought the singular man Saul of Tarsus developed into from the hater he was coming out of, 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 uh, of Jerusalem seeking to kill all of those who were connected to the Christian movement, getting permission to kill them. What arrogance did he have to go out and actually kill folk? The, he came out with letters of authority. Any Christian he found, he could kill them. And it wasn't until his Damascus Road experience that he fully understood that God had a better use for his zeal than ending. In fact, he wasn't going to end Christianity. He was going to lead it. He was going to lead it. This same man was then led from one exciting adventure in Christendom to the next. He met all the disciples. He was given visions and directives from Jesus Christ himself. No other man ever got those kinds of visitations. And if you were just a lesser man, somebody might say, this would go to your head. I'm getting visitation from Jesus. I'm talking to Jesus. Can you imagine how many YouTube channels, how many podcasts, how many TV shows folk would have now if they were getting special visitation from Jesus? They were getting special directors from the Lord. See, they would have blown up and they would be living so large because Jesus come talk with me. No, he don't walk with me. He come talk to me. Sometimes the Lord has to send us something to remind us you just folk. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you bad. You Paul. Half of, the, half of the book of Acts was written about Paul's life and his ministry. That's big stuff. Almost all the New Testament works were either written or touched by him. That's big stuff. And when you got big stuff like that going on, your head tends to swell. Extraordinary things happening. And God sends something to remind him every day that from dust you came and dust you shall return. Something as small as a cataract can pierce a big head and make him know that you're not in control of everything. Something as small as a cataract, while it messes up his vision, can keep him focused on the Lord. Something as small as a cataract, while it's blurring his vision, he could see clearly that he wasn't in charge of everything because he kept going to his knees, praying to the Lord, Lord, please, 
remove this thorn from my side. He even said it was so bad that it was a messenger from Satan. The very devil himself is agitating me. How about that? The man who is the field general for the Lord is being buffeted by Satan. And he asked the Lord three times, get Satan off my back, Lord. And the Lord says, no. And he does that according to Paul. In his own hand, he said, he did this to keep me from being conceited. Sometimes you got to know about yourself. Oh, oh, you got to know when your head swells. You got to know the situation you in. Oh, if I get that, I'll be balling. Everybody will know me. Sometimes God won't let you be you till you get to the place that he needs for you to be. I, I, know, I know we want to make, come on now, I'm going to say this. We want to make this Christian walk popular. We want to make it prosperous. We want to make all the good things come out of this Christian walk. Can I tell you, you're going to have trouble in this Christian walk. You're going to have poverty of some type in this Christian walk. It might not be poverty of finances. It might be poverty of friends. It might be poverty of, of, of any other situation that can come where you lose something, but if you're not ready to lose something for Christ, then you got something before Christ. And that's a problem. No false idols. Can't have them. God wants to keep us humble. And so he'll send us something. First thing he does is send Paul something that'll keep him humble. Next thing he does is ironic, care. He gives him this thorn in his side to keep his attention turned toward him. He wants Paul to remember his grace. Because difficult circumstances in our lives have a way of turning us toward, toward God. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, we turn toward heaven. We turn to somebody bigger. It, it, it's just like any child. Have you ever noticed a baby when they're down doing something and they get to a place that they can't function, they can't manipulate a toy or something? The first thing they do is pick it up and bring it to the big person that's in the room. And that's what we do, too. When we get to a place in life and we hit a wall, we turn around and turn it to the big one who can take care of it. And God sent him this thorn to say, keep turning to me. I want you to, I want to take care of you. But, but for too long, you've been thinking you could walk on your own. And now you hit a wall and you need to turn back to me in order for me to show you that I've been following you all along and taking care of you. Jesus tells us in Mark 10 and 18, no one is good except God alone. Can I tell you something? That, that, that God in and of himself is goodness. And let me give you this clearly now. Goodness exists because God is good. That's where goodness comes from. It's not in his DNA, it is his DNA. All right, it's not, it, it is his DNA. His, def, by definition, God's DNA is good. And we have God in us, which means we have good in us. But too often we turn to the us in us and not the him in us. And when we use the us in us, we go to our sinful nature. And our sinful nature, by definition, is sinful. And it's full of us. And can I tell you something? God doesn't want us to do that. He always wants us to pay attention to him. And so he gives us these thorns in our side so we can turn back to him and remember his grace. 
It also reminds us who's in charge. Sometimes we get too foolish and say, my, my, our daddy used to say all the time, I pay the cost to be the boss. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Now, we well understood what he meant. That meant in this house, under this roof, I set the rules. I'm in charge. And can I tell you something? It depends on who you allow to be in charge of your house. Yeah, because sometimes the one who makes all the gold shouldn't make the rules. No, no, sometimes he ought to be smart enough to defer to somebody else in the house who makes better decisions and rules than him. We can't go, he can't live right in this world if we only go by he who has all the gold makes the rules. Because I, can I tell you something, poor people would never do any better. Oh no, because we never share with them. Because you gotta keep all your goals so you can keep making all the rules. Can I tell you, I'm glad to, I'm glad to follow a God who's an equalizer, who can make me as important as a man who has all the gold. He keeps turning me to him. Can I tell you, COVID is an equalizer. Oh yeah, it hits the old, the young, the rich, the poor, and guess what it does? It doesn't matter how much gold you have, it reminds you who's in charge. And it has us in these circumstances. People are looking for a God that they haven't been familiar with and didn't know. And that's where the church comes in. We ought to be showing them one who's graceful, who also has healing in his character. We ought to be teaching them who God is. Can you imagine the sheer chaos in life if people were in complete control of their own lives, their own destinies? If you didn't have to worry about God coming in with grace and equalizing, balancing the scales, because some of us wouldn't have the blessings in life that we have if God didn't balance the scales. Yeah, some of us wouldn't be where we are if God didn't put you in extraordinary places, places you can't figure out, places you didn't earn, you were just blessed to be put there. Because you didn't come from a place where those expectations even existed that you could do those things, and yet he does it to remind us who he is. Not only that, I love this, and this is important. Somebody out there ought to hear me on this. He allows these situations to come into our lives to remind us that we are not alone. Because there's some lonely folk walking around here. There's some lonely folk. Oh yeah, people who are in the middle of a house full of people are still lonely. You don't have to be in a place physically alone to be alone. You can be in a school full of people and still be alone. But we're not alone when we walk through our trials, y'all. You're not. God is with us every step of the way. The Bible is full of situations where God gives encouraging words to let people know that you're not alone. Watch this. Isaiah wrote, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames will not set you ablaze. Why? Because God is with you. Yeah, Exodus, Moses wrote, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Oh yeah, why? Because God is with you. Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The Bible is full of situations where he wants us to know that he has not forsaken us. And so we get these thorns in our side and he tells us no so that we can stay humble, 
so we can keep our attention turned towards him. And lastly, I like this, I love this, to make us content on his provision. Y'all don't hear me on this. Watch, watch the progression in that scripture that I gave you. 7 through 10 shows a progression that is amazing. Paul goes from a prayer where he is begging the Lord, destined to remove something that's beating him up in life. Lord, please remove it. Please take this, this thorn from my side, this messenger from Satan. Get him out of my life. He goes from that in verse 7 down to, watch this now, well, when God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, he's reminded of how good God is, destiny. And then in verse 10, please take this turns into, then for Christ's sake, I am content in my weakness. Not only am I content, I'll take weakness, I'll take insults, I'll take hardship, I'll take persecution, I'll even take calamities. Why? Because God is with me. That's the progression in five verses. He sits up and he tells us how things have changed. Four verses. He tells us that I've gone from begging the Lord to take it to understanding why he did Four verses shows us that God is with us. My grace, he said, is sufficient. Trials are not punishment, although they feel that way sometimes but they can be for us, if we allow them, seasons of growth. It's an opportunity where our struggles can become the very thing that glorifies God. The way you walk it becomes a testimony. The blessing that you are to other folk and yourself becomes how your faith matures in circumstances when God is saying no to you. First Peter, chapter one, verses six to seven tells us that in all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater work than gold, which perishes even through refined fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, He's burning the bad off. And you shall come forth, as we used to say, as pure gold. And when you go through that refining process, it's painful. When you go through that refining process, it's difficult. But you're going to come out better on the other side. Remember there is a purpose in your trial. The growing pains may ache, but they become a little sweeter as you understand the grace that's upon you. Remember now, the most beautiful diamonds in the world have undergone tremendous pressure in order to come out that way. I want to end with this on you and let you know that while God is taking care of you, nothing's going to be lost. Not even your struggles will be lost. He'll bless you even through your struggles. His nose are given to us lovingly. And re remember this, Paul wrote it, the one who is begging the Lord to remove the thorn. He said, he said to us in Romans 8 and 28 that all the things that happen in my life, everything is for my good. Especially, not just me, but for all of you who are called according to his purpose. 
God loves us. He's putting it all together. It's a cake batter he's making, but you will come forth more blessed than you've ever been. Have you tried him? Do you know him? First, you got to start with him. Give him your life. Give him yourself and let him lead you to a greater understanding of who he is and who you are in him. God bless you. God keep you.